That's our missionary over in Tanzania, Brother Jerry Wyatt, and they had their annual crusade that they use uh, for that. They use a soccer crusade and just had, I think they had about 8,500 or so that came in attendance, and you saw the number there, about 1,300 saved. That following day on the Sunday, they had about 1,500 in church in attendance that morning. So we're really rejoicing that. We got a message earlier this morning from our, our missionary over in Cambodia, Brother David Board, and uh, Brother Board, they had, a, they had an anniversary for all their churches, and they had about 356 that were in attendance this morning in that, and many, many saved, 20 baptized yesterday morning there. So we're rejoicing what God's doing through our missionaries. I want to say to tell you all that because um, on August 22nd, beginning Wednesday night, the 22nd, Thursday night, the 23rd, Friday night, the 24th, and all day Sunday, the 26th, we have our annual missions conference. It's our 19th one. Our theme, which I'll be preaching about next Sunday, is from Acts 16.9, entitled Help Us. And we're just excited about the missionaries. There's a whole crew of people that are new that you'll meet that are, that are doing a great job for the Lord. Our keynote speaker will be Dr. Don Sisk. And, you know, we just want to take advantage. Well, the Lord has Dr. Sisk with us to take advantage of every opportunity for him to preach the Word of God. And he's our keynote speaker on that Sunday. He'll be with us there. And, of course, longtime ministry in Japan. And the work that he started there is still thriving, still going on. Several of our members who in this last couple of years who have uh, visited Japan have made their way over to there to the, the church that was started there and is still a thriving church doing much for God's glory. You'll be challenged to hear from Dr. David Barnhouse. Uh, he's a veteran missionary there in Africa that will challenge your heart. You'll be challenged to hear from Dr. Richard Jacobs. He's an Indian national that started works in India, is back here in the, in the uh, uh, Kentucky area, starting a church here to reach uh, people from that sector there to send them back over in missions. You'll get to hear from a missionary in Columbia. The brother Mark Garrison, I met him last year, very impressed with his testimony and what God's doing there. He's been there for about 10 years there, and has started two works. Uh, brother Stephen Villarreal, who's in Mexico. Brother Villarreal is a second-generation uh, missionary, just doing a great work for the Lord. And then Brother Travis Medeiros, who's been in and out of our church a couple times while, while in deputation, will be with us. And we're excited about these men and uh, missionaries we have that will be here later this year on furlough. That will be just, uh, re- just updating us with the work of God. We want to encourage you about that. That being said, I want to encourage you to... Uh, this coming Saturday, just clear your schedule. Give us an hour. Give us two hours if you can. And join us for a light breakfast on Saturday morning at 930. And then for a challenge as we get ready for our, our annual uh, soul winning marathon, we're just going to go out and reach the area. There are hundreds of doors that need to be reached, many areas that need to be touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're just trying to get, get the word out about, to people about our new building and have them come and be a part of one of our adult growth groups. And I want to encourage you this, this, uh, morning, this evening just to determine to just schedule, to be there for that. And uh, don't worry about what you don't know. We'll get you paired up with somebody who's experienced, and we'll see great things that the Lord's doing through that. And we're just thankful as the summer is just almost coming to an end. We've had a, a fantastic soul-winning summer, and we're thankful for what the Lord has done. And uh, we're praying that God will stir all of our hearts to just win souls for Christ and be used of Him. Let's take our Bibles tonight, if you would, go to the little book of Jude. Here's what you do. Look for Revelation. Look for Revelation, and then go back to the book of Jude. Revelation 1, right next to Revelation 1 is the book of Jude, okay? The book of Jude. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, would you take a moment to share your Bible with them? Thank you for being here. We're excited about the new building. We had an increase of 75 adults this morning in the adult growth group department. So we're excited about that. And we have a good problem. We have uh, more people than seats in some of the rooms. So we're at the place where we need to break up some classes and start some new classes there. So uh, that's a good thing to do. You pray for us about that. And we're just excited about these next few months, what God's going to do through special events and just starting new classes and seeing the Lord work. The little book of Jude, would you go with me to verse 17? Verse 17. Are you there? Okay, good. 
But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. And all of God's people say, Amen. I want you to notice some encouraging, encouraging words of exhortation that Jude, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, gave us about the last days. And nestled in this passage of Scripture are seven words that I pray that God will ingrain in your heart. And we're going to find here this evening seven words that can beat and overcome a cynical spirit. And I pray this evening as we look at all the things that are going right and all the things that are not going right, that we caution to guard, we be cautious to guard our faith and our soul from becoming very cynical about things, even to the place where we are very doubtful and very skeptical and very critical about things that go on in our life. And we have to remind ourselves that we're not to look at things in life or approach it from the perspective of the flesh and how we did things when we were unsaved. We need to remind ourselves that everything we do should be from the islands of our Lord and looking at it from the perspective of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seven words that will overcome a cynical spirit. Now, Father, tonight we're thankful that you love us we thank you that you saved us. Thank you for the salvation which is from your son that was, that was given to us through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation, eternal life is the gift of God. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We thank you that though the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, we thank you on the latter part of that verse that the, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you tonight that you are God, our Savior. Thank you tonight, you're God, our Father. Thank you tonight, you're God that heals. Thank you tonight that you're God who's alive. Thank you, you're the God of the Word of the Lord. Thank you, the God of the Bible. And thank you, the God who is our helper. And thank you tonight, you're Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord who is our righteousness. And thank you tonight, you're the God who stands alongside of us in our time of need. And this evening, thank you, even as the Scriptures declare this evening, you're immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And tonight, overwhelm us with the sense of who you are and what you are, that you are God who is holy. And as a holy God, we realize tonight you're a God of justice, and yet measured out with that. You're a God of mercy. We thank you tonight that Jesus Christ is full of grace and full of truth. And we thank you tonight that, Father, that though the world may change and seemingly become more decadent and more depraved, thank you that your holiness never changes. Thank you, the anchor of our soul, that you're the author and the finisher of our faith. Tonight, we need you to speak to our hearts. We need you to love us through your word. We need you to give us a word of instruction. 
We need you to do for us, even as Paul admonished Timothy through the word of God. He said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, reprove, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but heap themselves teachers having itching ears. Father, there's a lot of voices out there today, voices on the Internet and voices on the radio and voices on television. But God, the most important voice we need to hear tonight is the voice of God. And I pray this evening that your voice would be loud and distinct and clear. Oh, Lord, tonight, open the word of God to us. Open our eyes. Behold wonderful things out of thy law. Deliver us, dear God, from any kind of a spirit that does not coincide with your spirit. God, deliver us from self-righteousness. And God, deliver us from, Lord, conceitedness. And God, deliver us from resistance and a hard heart. And refresh us tonight and give us a word of revival, we pray. We'll thank you for this passage of Scripture. These seven words that overcome a critical spirit. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Are you a cynical person? Would your wife or your husband, your best friend, is someone close to you, would they say you're a cynical person? Consider some statements that typically are made by cynical people. Sometimes they'll just go, ah, who cares? What's the difference? Everybody's doing it anyway. Or sometimes in their cynicism, they'll say something like this. I don't know what your problem is. But I bet it's hard to pronounce. Or sometimes they'll say something like this. I bet he's, they'll say, I'll try being nicer if you'll try being smarter. Or sometimes they'll say something like this. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Or sometimes they'll say something like this. All things being equal, you lose. And sometimes they'll say something like this. If you're feeling good, don't worry, you'll get over it. Or sometimes they'll say, smile, tomorrow's going to get worse. Or sometimes they'll say something like this. It's been lovely, but I feel like I need to scream right now. Are you a cynical person? Uh, the, word, the dictionary defines a cynical person as someone who's distrusting or disparaging in their motives of others. It says they define that person as someone who shows contempt for accepted standards of honesty, morality, and I might just include that even for the Bible and church standards. Someone who shows contempt for accepted standards of honesty or morality by one's actions, especially by actions that exploit the scruples of others. Uh, sometimes a cynical person might be defined as someone who's bitterly or sincerely distrusting contemptuous or pessimistic as we begin this message i want to preface it by saying as we look at this little book of jude i want to remind us tonight that in all the total as far as the the perspective of the season we're in i believe that we're still in the end times paul wrote about the end times jude is talking about the end times uh peter talked about the end times i believe we're in the end times the end times speaks to us about the wrath and judgment of god that will be poured upon this earth and this generation for its sin and its rejection of god uh generally speaking it's called the day of the lord the day of the lord begins with the rapture of the church when all believers everyone who's saved and knows jesus christ as savior is raptured out they're snatched out of this world first thessalonians chapter four speaks to us about that whether it's snatched and raptured out jesus spoke about that in john chapter 14. The angels spoke about that over in Acts chapter 1 when we're raptured out. And it's immediately after we're raptured out, they'll be following that rapture seven years of what the Bible calls great tribulation. John refers to in the book of Revelation as the day of God's great wrath. Jeremiah spoke of it.
it as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus called it a time of great tribulation. And the only way we could describe it, it's a horrific time. It'll be a time where all where the weather elements are upside down. The economies are upside down. There are wars. There's just a number of things, cataclysmic things that will happen. It is literally an apocalyptic moment of time that goes on. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and all the way through for 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, it speaks to us about the day of the Lord. Now, sometimes there's a little bit of theological confusion as to when all this happens and begins and when the tribulation occurs and will believers be raptured before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation. We are pre-trib. I believe in being a pre-trib position. Amen. In a pre-tribulation uh, position, if you read correctly, you will follow the New Testament. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, we find one continuous motion where the rapture occurs. And then the Lord talks about the day of the Lord there in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now we have to remember this. In First Thessalonians 5, 9, the Bible says specifically, we are not appointed unto wrath. And so there's some word of consolation, encouragement for us as believers of knowing that we are not appointed unto wrath. We know that the rapture will occur for us. And we know there will be a time of great tribulation. During these end times, in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. If you have that in your notes, please look at that with me or turn to it in your Bible. He said in 2 Timothy 3, this know also. Now, when he said this know also, he's trying to get us aware of what's going on in our world. He's trying to help us understand the perspective of things from a biblical perspective, not from a Fox News or even CNN's perspective. Now, thank God for the news. But our, our basic perspective should not be influenced entirely by Fox News or someone else. It should be influenced by the Word of God. So notice what he says in verse 1. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves now look at the description of our day and age lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy i believe that defines this millennial generation without natural affection truce breakers false accusers incontinent fierce despisers of those that are good Traitors, heady, notice this phrase, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, when you read all those things, now thank God we get excited about the rapture. And thank God we get excited when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again to receive you into myself. You know, we get excited about those things. We get excited about Jesus' coming soon. We get excited about the fact that when we go to heaven, we'll get glorified bodies. And this mortal will put on immortal. And this corrupt will put on incorruptible. And we get excited about the fact, the Bible says, for to me to live is Christ and to die. We get excited about all those things. But sometimes we read about the, the things that are true and things that are real and about judgment and things like that. Well, you know what? There's a tendency of the human spirit to get a little bit discouraged by those things. And we read this and we read the book of Jude, the first 16 verses. There's a tendency, if we're not very careful, we, instead of letting the Holy Spirit speak to us and guide us into all truth, we have a tendency that we may just skip right past those things and develop a cynical spirit. I want you to notice verse 21 with me in our, in our passage this evening. In verse 21, Jude gives us some words, seven words that beat a cynical spirit. What you notice in verse 21, those seven words are right in the beginning. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. Would you repeat that with me tonight? Say that together with us, okay? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's say it again. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now count up the words. Seven words that God gives us that will beat and overcome a cynical spirit. I want you to see four things tonight. Very basic how-to lesson this evening. But I want you to see four things tonight from the book of Jude about how you and I can beat a cynical spirit. First of all, let's look at verses 3 and 4, verses 1 to 4. Would you notice our stand? Notice Jude starts off in verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. I like how he starts it out because he's writing to believers at a latter time of that, that first uh, that first century who were a little bit discouraged. And I might even say, I believe they had a cynical spirit. And in verse 2, he talks about mercy and peace and love being multiplied in their hearts. I think there was less of that than going on in their hearts. And he said in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, notice this phrase, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered unto the saints. For he says in verse 4, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now verse 4 is a very, very important underlying verse in this chapter. Because in verse 4, it defines the spirit of this age. We live in a stage of defection, an age of apostasy. Apostasy is when you have revealed truth, but you deny it. You have revealed truth, but you decline it. We read about this here in this passage. One of the, the first apostate we know of that's written in Scripture was Cain. Cain had revealed truth. Cain knew that only by the blood sacrifice his sins could be atoned for. He rejected that truth, and instead of uh, attaining to that truth and living that truth. He decided to bring his own offering before God. We see some other apostates that are mentioned here in Scripture that, that are mentioned here in the little book of Jude besides Cain. We see here that God mentions men like Korah and Balaam there as well. And he talks about here in verse 4 that there are men who creep in unawares. What's he talking about? Men who infiltrate false teachers and false believers who infiltrate churches and the work of God and try to bring in their own doctrine. They try to bring in their own philosophy. They want to bring something they heard from this guy over here and this guy over here, they want to bring in wrong doctrine. They want to be divisive. They're, they're what the Bible calls Bible, Bible heretics. They want to be divisive of things. And he says there are certain men that creep in unawares. Paul calls them woes in sheep's clothing. They're false teachers. And he's talking about false teachers all through here through the book of Jude. And so, you know, wait, now I thank God for Heritage Baptist Church. It's a loving church, great church. I thank God we've got some strong Bible teachers in our church. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. I also know that as we increase in population, as more people come into the church, there are some people that come in with their different ideas. And they come in thinking, well, I want to change some things around here. I like what I see here, but I'm going to change something. Let me tell you something tonight. You don't change things. You come to church for God to change you. This business we go around and chopping churches and going places and thinking we're going to change the church. The church doesn't need you to change it. You come to church for God to change you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And so Jude wrote about this, this, these certain men creeping unawares before vote ordained this condemnation. He calls them ungodly men. They turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. A Southern Cal, a very prominent Southern California pastor wrote a book entitled Grace Awakening several years ago. 
And in that book, Grace Awakened, he basically said, well, the grace of God gives you the license to do whatever you want to do. Hey, listen to me tonight. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Listen now. This is what it says. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Here's what Jude's take on that kind of mindset. He said, there's certain men come in unawares, uh, unawares to turn the grace of our God, the grace of our God into lasciviousness. I mean, if I think of this preacher who was a wise, was a, was a Bible preacher, and if he had studied his Bible a little bit more, would have probably retracted. And he did retract it. About 10 years later, he wrote a different book to retract it because he realized the seeds that he sown were not very good seeds resulted in much carnality in much type of churches. In fact, in his own church, as I read, I read, read a report on it many years ago, that he had several, several situations of recurrence of immorality problems that occurred on his own church staff there. I'm just saying today, we must remind ourselves that apostasy is not going the direction of the cross. Apostasy is going apart from the cross. Now, when you look at that, our goal tonight is not to talk about apostasy, and our goal tonight is not to talk about all these things that Jew talks about. That's a, that's a different message. Our, ta- our talk tonight is to look this evening, our preaching tonight, is to look at this matter of a cynical spirit. Now, notice something in verse 3. In writing all this, Jude says, now, I want to talk about the common salvation. Now, can I say something tonight? There's only one kind of salvation. Salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. If you have any other type of, any other type of uh, salvation, it's not a biblical salvation. Whereas there's good works. No, good works can't save. For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by good works. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, by the washing regeneration by the Holy Spirit of God. There are no good works that can save you. And listen, you could have put a brand and a label, and people don't like to hear brand or label. They want. They don't want to hear that Jehovah Witnesses are cold and the Mormons are cold. They don't want to hear that some group is a cold and whatever there. They have some other persuasion. But I want to tell you tonight, as Jude was writing this passage, he was reminding them of the common salvation. You say, Pastor Fong, why are we getting off of that? Because there's a tendency, as you're away from church six days a week, six days out of seven days a week, there's a tendency to, to lapse into that kind of thing and believe what the media says or believe what the TV preachers say. And I'm just saying tonight, long before there was TV and long before there was the Internet long before all these famous authors started putting their, self, their stuff out on the marketplace, there was always the Word of God. And so as we look at the Word of God tonight, he says, he tells us tonight that there's one thing, he said, it was needful for me, notice verse 3, to write unto you. And he says, I'm writing to you, it's important for thy write to you, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered for the saints. Now my first point this evening is about our stand. To contend means to challenge, to fight. When I got saved, independent Baptists were leading the way and taking a stand for the gospel. They were leading the way and taking a stand for the word of God. I thank God for many, many of the men who've gone on to glory to be with the Lord, who took a stand for the faith. We don't have time to talk about those men, but I'm saying God has always had men that have stood for the faith. You say, well, you're, you're a little bit older than me, Pastor. Yeah, I'm a little bit older, but I still remember it wasn't too many years ago about men who stood for the faith. Hey, listen, God has always had men who've contended for the faith. Moses had to contend with Cor- Korah, Nadab, and Abihu. Elijah had to contend with the false prophets of Baal. Micaiah had to contend with the false prophets who sat at Ahab's table. Nehemiah told the men on the wall, fight for your wives, your children, and your brethren. Azariah, the high priest, had to contend with King Uzziah. We saw that a couple weeks ago about burning incense in the temple. Jeremiah contended with false prophets who said judgment was not coming. Jesus contended with the money changers, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Hey, the apostle Paul fought with the wild beasts at Ephesus. I mean, the scriptures repeat 
replete that we have to remind ourselves as if we're biblicists and stand for the word of God, we need to contend and stand for the faith once delivered for the saints. Now you say, what does that all entail, Pastor? Well, number one, we're contending for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are contending for the eternal security of every saved person. The Bible does not teach you can be saved today and lose it tomorrow. No, bless God. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Amen. I love that promise by Jesus. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I thank God for John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that believeth on me uh, hath everlasting life and shall not see condemnation and he's passed from death to life. Listen, tonight we are contending for the eternal security of every saved person. We are contending for the deity and the sinless nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's why we're told in 1 John 4, 1, try the spirits to see if the spirits of God. For every spirit that confesses is not that Jesus Christ has come to flesh is not of God but is of the Antichrist and I tell you the best way you can determine whether they're preaching the true gospel whether or not they're cult or not is what do they believe about Jesus Christ it's not enough they say he's a good man it's not enough they say he was a teacher of Israel if they don't believe he's the sinless mattress perfect creator and son of God and they don't believe he's the savior of all the world and they don't believe that he's sinless of a, that he came to this world by a virgin birth I would tell you there's something suspect about what they believe tonight we are contending for the full and complete shedding of the blood and uh, uh, blood of Jesus Christ for the sins of every for every sinner. And I'll tell you tonight, not too many years ago, there's a Southern California preacher, a very prominent Bible teacher that got on the radio and got on television, a large congregation, and he got up and put in his publications, and he got up and got up on his radio, and he started telling people, well, the death of Christ saves us from our sins, but the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't. I would tell you tonight there's something wrong with that kind of teaching. The blood of Jesus Christ does cleanse us from all sins. First John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. You take the blood out the book and you don't have salvation. We're contending for the preservation of Scripture through the King James Version of the Bible. We reject the usage of other Bible translations due to those translations using unreliable translation sources. We're contending for the winning of souls. And by the way, some of you look at me and you say, well, Pastor, what's wrong with using this version, that version, that version? You don't have the Word of God. Now, I didn't hear a lot of amens about this. Some of you must have NLVs here tonight or ESVs. If you are using a, if you're using another translation that doesn't get its, that doesn't have its translation from the Textus Receptus and the Masoretic Text and the Hebrew, I'm telling you, you don't have the right translation. You, you don't have the Word of God. Because you've got a Bible that's full of holes, that's missing some scriptures, that's missing some verses, and you need to question if something's not there. Why did they take it out? And there's a whole bunch of historical things about that. Not even talking about the methodology, the, the mechanism by which they translated the scriptures. I remember the church I got saved in that prep, Wally Beebe came. Remember Wally Beebe, Brother AJ? Wally Beebe came. And Wally Beebe was Mr. Bus. And Wally Beebe got him and said, there's only one Bible I'm going to preach from. That's the King James Version Bible. Well, the church I got saved and started making some drifts there. And as they started making some drifts, I didn't know that at that time. I mean, it was just a very subtle drift. They started making drifts. They had a Sunday school teacher get up and say, well, I'm going to tell you why the King James Version of the Bible is not the correct version. And I thought, what? Now, I'm going to tell you, since I've been saved, I didn't know a whole lot when I first got saved, but I know one thing. I've only used the King James Version of the Bible. And by the way, let me just say it tonight. If you're using a Schofield, Schofield Bible, bless God for that. But Schofield Bible, you're not to be... Listen, the notes of Schofield are not inspired. The Word of God is inspired. And I say the same thing for the Thompson Chain Reference. I thank God for that, and I use that. But listen, the notes are not inspired. The Word of God is inspired. You say, well... 
we're a Baptist church. Why are we contending for it? Because when churches grow, somebody brings stuff in. Why do you think they tell you when you walk into somebody's house, please take off your shoes? Isn't that? We're contending for the winning of souls and the advancement of missions. Churches don't want to win souls these days. Brother Jane, you come out of a church, winning souls for 40 years, has it not? It was winning souls for 40 years. They're not going to change the entire Independent Baptist churches have led the ways in winning souls. You say, well, why do we have to win souls? Because if you don't win souls, you're not obedient to Jesus Christ. Their blood is on your hands and my hands. That's why you ought to be at the Sony Marathon as an obedient Christian this coming Saturday. Amen. We're contending for the Baptist faith. Bible is Baptist. Baptist is Bible. You say, well, I'm not a Baptist. The Baptists are, by the way, Baptists are not Protestant. And Protestants are not Baptists. Protestants came out of something. Baptists can trace their roots all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Get the trail of blood. I say this every year. I say this every year. You need to read the trail of blood once a year just to remind yourself and rekindle the fire in you about the Baptist faith. We have an, we have an unbroken lineage that traces itself to the Lord Jesus Christ by our doctrine and everything else that's there. I'm just saying tonight, we, we, we have a stand we're taking. We need to take a stand. He says tonight, we contend, I, I'm writing to you to contend for the faith once delivered. Now, you listen to me tonight. Listen to me tonight. You're going you're to want to have a God, you know, godly spirit, and you should have a godly spirit and a kind spirit. And every now and then, somebody's going to come up that you get to like, and they're a very nice person, and then they throw this curveball at you. And the curveball says, you know, you can lighten up on this, and you can do this, and it's okay if we don't use this, and it's okay if we don't do that, and it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. This is the church of the living God, not the church of Alan Fong, not the church of Garwin Ching, not the church of A.J. Tadiarka, definitely not the church of Justin Fong, amen, you know? Church living God. And listen, it's the pillar and ground of truth. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So number one, we see our stand. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Just hang with me tonight. You've got to get your money's worth tonight. Amen? Number two, number two, write this down. Would you notice our cynicism? Now, the book of Jude is one chapter. The reason I believe it's one chapter... I don't think God, God knew our spirit. We couldn't take more than one chapter. <laughs> it's some pretty strong stuff in Jude, okay? 16 verses. Read it tonight. 16 verses, and you're going to go one of two extremes. On one extreme, you're going to feel like some of my Baptist forefathers that I grew up with that were fighters. They were pretty scary. Some of the Baptist forefathers I still remember. They're, now, they've gone home to be with the Lord, but they were pretty scary guys. I mean, they fought everything, okay? And then there's the other extreme that looks at us and says, man, this is just like, what's wrong with our world? I just, you know, I'd rather watch church live stream. I don't want to be around people, you know? I just don't want to, I don't want to hear about this stuff anymore. And so John, he wrote this chapter, and he realizes he wrote these first 16 verses that a cynical spirit can overcome even the best of Christians. Hey, listen to me tonight. I've caught myself becoming cynical. I know pastors that I'm friends with that are cynical. Everyone here tonight has the tendency to have a cynical spirit. Now, watch this, okay? When you get a cynical spirit, you allow a defeated attitude to set in, and you find yourself saying things like this. Watch this. What's the use? Why do we even try? Why do we even try to stand, have standards? People don't follow standards. Why do we try? 
Or sometimes I've heard this. Well, Brother Fong, Baptists are a dying breed. Not last time I checked. Come with me and I'll show you churches being started by some good Baptist guys right now. Come with me for a little bit. I'll take you around the world where God's doing some great things around the world. Next year, 20th anniversary, we're looking for, for great things. I've already been invited to go to several places to preach some gospel crusades. I've got one pastor who wants me to come to preach to 10,000 lost people next year. I will tell you where he's at. Things are not dying. Things are hopping right now. I'm saying tonight, look, look, you know, we say things, what's the use? We're a dying breed. They'll say, who cares? Or sometimes even maybe some of you young people tonight or older people, you say, it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we believe it. Well, what, what do you believe then? They'll say the, worth, the faith is not worth contending for. They'll say, well, everyone else is shifting. They're shifting. Their music is shifting. That. Why, why, why don't we just shift? i tell you why we don't shift. Because there's a Bible that we need to contend for. A cynical spirit is Eliab, David's older brother, scoffing David's boldness. Would you look at the Scriptures with me tonight? And let the Word of God speak to you. Go with me to 1 Samuel 17. Look at verses 20 29. Now, you know the story there. David, David did not go to the battlefield intending to fight. He went there as a servant. By the way, if God's going to use you, always have a servant's heart. Amen? Amen. Go with a servant's heart, okay? Don't expect he's something big. Just go to do the little. Hey, he got up early in the morning. He left the sheep in the care of somebody else, making sure the sheep were well cared for. And he brought the cheese and the bread and things his father wanted to bring early in the morning. He wasn't dressed to go to battle. He was dressed as a shepherd. He smelled like he'd been around some sheep. Think about that for just a minute, amen? And he got there, and he got there. And the giant comes out and he goes, fee, fi, fo, fum. No, he didn't do that. But he came out and the giant came out there and he said, he said, well, send me a man that will come fight with me. And all the men cowered in fear. The Bible says now it's the 40th day. The men were greatly afraid. I mean, listen, you have the same threat for 40 straight days. And this thundering giant, nine feet, nine inches tall, challenging out. And you could hear his armor clanging on the ground. And you get the thundering of his feet like a t- Tyrannosaurus Rex there. And, 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 and David went around. He says, well, well who's going to take him on? I mean, come on, guys. He said, all my heroes are here. My three brothers are in the army here. And Saul's here. And Saul's the tallest man of all of Israel. Come on. Isn't there somebody who's going to take this man? I mean, what's the king going to give to him? And when Eliab, his oldest brother, heard, and watch this now, the Bible is very precise and helps us understand how a cynical spirit occurs. He talked about the eldest brother. Notice, when Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And notice this, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said... Why comest thou down hither? What are you doing here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep? And who do you think you are? You're just a little shepherd boy. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Now, David had a right perspective. And I could preach tonight a whole sermon about why I believe David was a fighting fundamentalist. I could tell you tonight that David had his doctrine right and David had his foundation right. That David's there and he doesn't have a bad spirit about this. But his brother, the older brother, had a bad spirit. The brother, older brother said, what, who do you think you are? You see, when you have a cynical spirit, you're, you don't want vision. And when you have a cynical spirit, you don't want to exercise faith. And when you have a cynical spirit, you don't believe that God answers prayer. And when you have a cynical spirit, you hear some young man get up and says, I'm going to go preach the gospel and I'm going to go to, I'm going to go 6,000 miles from him and I'm going to start a church. You're going to look at him and say, you're going to start a church no way you're going to do that you're going to go to the ministry no way you're going to do that you're going to go knock on doors that's no way you can't even talk they, they looked at david they said david you don't even have the right clothing on you don't even have the right shoes on david you just woke up you're not even awake young man they said, what are you doing here he had a bad spirit towards david there but it gets even better notice another brother 
A cynical spirit is the elder brother that is angry that the prodigal had repented and got right with his father. Notice Luke chapter 15 with me. Would you go there? Notice Luke chapter 15, verses 28 to 29. Please let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, two older brothers, two different generations, both have a cynical spirit. And I want you to see, I want you to see the line, the thread of what, how the scriptures define for us a cynical spirit. And it says in Luke 15, verse 20, are you there? Okay, Luke 15, verse 20, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering, he said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. You know, I was reading that one day and the Lord just kind of impressed on me. Wow, that's how a cynical spirit manifests itself. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Would you notice some things with me about a cynical spirit? And please let the Holy Spirit speak to you. He was the older brother. He's like a Christian who's been around church a long time. He's like a, he, he's like a Christian who's got a lot of responsibilities in church, but he's forgotten, he's forgotten where he began. Notice the first thing the Bible tells us that this, this young, this, this man, this older brother, he was angry, would not go in. You know what I hear a lot from people? And God help our soul tonight. When we don't get our way, we get angry at some. You know what's the first thing comes out of our mouth? Well, I guess I'll stop coming. I don't want to come to church. A cynical spirit always manifests itself saying, I'm not coming to church. I don't go to church. I'm, I'm angry about I'm angry about what you said. I'm angry about what she did. I'm angry about this. I'm angry about that. And I'm not coming to church. I'm not coming to church. The very first thing that comes out of our mouths is, I just will stop going to church. Listen, that's the devil working through that. It's right here. He wouldn't go in. If you have a spirit of apprehension about coming to church because of a cynical spirit, the first thing I would do is this. And if it's really bad, I get on my face like this. Yeah. Because I'm concerned that this church has another generation. He got angry, wouldn't go in. Hey, we get a place that our title is more important than the Savior. We're in trouble. He was angry and he wouldn't go in. Now, but come on. Your brother was all messed up. He made his copy with harlots. Understand that. And he spent up his substance and he insulted his dad. But dad was happy. By the way, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you glad tonight God's happy when you come home? Amen. Aren't you glad that tonight that when God says, hey, welcome back home. I'm glad you came back to church. I'm glad you came back to the Lord. And, you know, he wasn't happy about that. But notice something else there. Therefore, his father came and entreated him. Dad had to come and beg him. You know what? Hey, watch this. When you want to skip church and leave church, and some of you are on the verge, you got one foot out. God is speaking to your pastor or through a Sunday school teacher or something. Please don't leave church. Please. We have to beg you to stay in church because you're inclined to leave the church. When someone has to beg you, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Don't leave the church. Don't leave the church. His father came and entreated him. And this is the picture of our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is knocking on our door. He's speaking to our hearts. Don't leave the church. Don't leave this right now. Don't leave. At the, don't leave. Listen, we got a building up. This is not the time to leave church. Amen. Souls are getting saved. This is not the time to leave church. We're going to go higher and things for God. This is not the time to leave church. And then notice this. He answering to his father. With the spirit and age, it's not, Dad, I'm sorry. I was out of my place. 
No, he has to get to his dad, and, and he unloads on his dad. He's answering to his father. He's got an irreverent attitude about, about, about God, an irreverent attitude. He's taking some liberties that he was never supposed to do. He's answering to his father. I, I'll just let you know, Dad, how I feel about things. Whoa. And then he goes on. He says, lo, these many years. Oh, I like to hear that. You don't understand, Pastor. I've been in this church many years. And you don't understand, Pastor. I have given to the, I've given to the program. In fact, notice what he says there. Lo, these many years do I serve thee. And neither, and he's, they, you know, they like to say, when we get a cynical spirit, I, I've been here many years, and I've been a Christian many years, and I've gone to Bible school many years, and I've done, I don't, who cares how many years you did it? If you're not right with God, all those years, you just wasted in vain. Amen. Lo, these many years. And then he says something else here. Notice what he said here. He said, uh, lo, these many years do I serve thee. We like to equate our service that we're somebody important. We think we're taking, we're taking what with the model of the secular world and said, well, I give him my 40 years, so therefore I have seniority. I have a reason to. Listen, it doesn't matter how many words you serve the Lord. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And then he says, neither transgressed I at any time. That's, that's a problem right there because they think that they're sinless. They're looking some, they're like the Pharisees in John chapter 8. They pick up a stone. They're ready to throw at the adulterous woman. They're ready to cast at somebody else. And they're okay and they're happy and they, they want to throw the stone at somebody else's sin except when it's their sin. Except when it's their sin. And you don't understand God's heart for every sinner is that every sinner gets saved and for every backsliding Christian they get right with God. That's God's heart for them. And so he said, neither transgressed I at any time. I didn't do any of that. And then he said, uh, and he, neither transgressed I at any time. Like, man, well, that's a lie right there. He did. And then he get, then they get into this favoritism mindset. Neither yet givest thou me a kid. You never did anything like this for me. And let me tell you something tonight. Do not, as we go, as we're doing this building, do not get into this favoritism mindset in this church. That is God's building. Already I've heard since last Sunday from the, from the grand opening of all this chatter going on. Well, can we do this? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? I tell you what we need to do. Let's, let's, get, let's just bring some people to church and get them saved. That's what we should do. Amen. Neither gave us out me any kid. You never acknowledged me. You never did this. That's a cynical spirit. That's a cynical spirit. It's right here. It's right here in the Bible. Then I might make merry with my, you don't like my friends. Well, the Bible gives me a definition. <laughs> Psalms 1-1, we taught that today. Did we not, teachers? Blessed or happy, rejoicing is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He that is wise walketh with wise men. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Listen tonight. A cynical spirit scoffs at a King James Version Bible position. A cynical spirit is open to all religious persuasions and pluralism. There's only one road to heaven. That's Jesus Christ. A cynical spirit scoffs at winning souls and attempts to promote an easier method. The younger generation scoffs at the faith of the fathers and is disrespectful. And I've seen that come up in our church lately. An older generation scoffs at the ideas of the younger generation and writes them off. Hey, you know, when, when that happens, when there's conflict in the older and younger generation, you need to go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, where the first thing he does in 1 Peter 5, he addresses the pastors. Now, pastors, he says, he says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. He says, now you need to take back control and feed the flock. And then he says, likewise, ye youngers, submit yourselves unto the elders, and likewise, ye elders, to the younger. What is he saying there? He says, be respectful of each other. 
Listen, young generation has ideas. I don't want to write off their ideas. It might, might help our church. By the same token, younger people, some, some of us old people here, I'm an old person, we've been around the block a little bit. We kind of know what works and doesn't work. We kind of seen some things happen there. Uh, I, I, just know, I just know one thing. I've seen more churches fail than I've seen succeed in my 45 years I've been a Christian. You count on one hand here in the Bay Area. Brother AJ came up from Southern California. You count on one hand in the Bay Area. How many independent Baptist churches you find just like this one? Brother, am I talking? Am I right, Brother Eugene? A cynical spirit is Pharisee in modern day clothing, finding fault with all forms of spiritual authority. The cynic wants the last word on everything. That's what the, that's what the elder brother was doing. Read, read all of Luke 15. He wanted the last word on everything. A cynic has a stone in his hand, is ready to cast a stone, except when it's this. Hey, listen to this. In Acts chapter 6, the church made a major shift in the right direction for growth. Now, as we're, we're in this, this building, I've said this quite a few times to the, the group we've gotten prepared for this first phase, but you've got to read Acts chapter 6 because that was a major paradigm shift in the growth of the church. It teaches about organizational development for the church and how God blesses. And, as, and, as they, and the first thing we read is that they, they, there was a perception that the widows were not being served and a cynical spirit developed and there was a rift between the believers. And so the church obeyed the counsel of the apostles and they chose out seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. But there were some still on the sidelines kind of watching saying, I wonder if this is even going to work out. There were those who were cynical about the Apostle Paul. Read, read all the New Testament. They wrote him off as being a loser. They, they thought, man, he's made another bad decision. They thought his boldness for the gospel got him into this mess. Here, here's what Paul said. No man stood with me, all men forsook me. He got the end of his ministry and because of things that, hey, can I remind you something? Sometimes bad decisions are not necessarily the pastor. And bad decisions are not because of the deacons. And bad decisions are not necessarily because Sunday school teacher medicine. Can I remind you there's a devil in this world that's real? And the devil wants to take a bad decision that was made and divide the church and get everybody all upset with each other and get your feathers ruffled and all those kind of things. I May mean, remind you tonight, there's a devil that wants to divide the church. Not all bad decisions are necessary because the one in leadership made those bad decisions. I'm not defending myself. I'm just telling you, I've watched pastors long enough. I've watched churches long enough. I will tell you, most of those things that happen are because the devil wants to divide and destroy the church. So Paul gets into life. All men have forsaken me. You ever been in that place? They became so cynical. Man, this guy's a jailbird. He's in prison. I don't want anything to do with him. He's the most wanted list. He's in the Mamertine prison. Man, I don't want to associate with Paul. Just keep my distance there. I don't want anything to do with him. And I wonder if we feel like that for somebody who's in a tough situation too. Cynicism is a symptom of lukewarmness and an indifferent spirit. Where there's cynicism, there's no activity for God. Where there's cynicism, there's more criticism than there is construction. Like cynicism is a killer of faith and a killer of vision. Cynicism kills the joy of the Lord. Hey, listen, tonight we see our stand, we see the cynicism, but let's get the good part tonight. Amen? Would you notice the solution? Go back to verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Verses 17, 25, he starts off, but, beloved, I know there's cynicism. I know we're critical. I know we don't see things the way we should. But, beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, this is nothing new. 
What I'm telling you tonight, this is nothing new, but we're going to try to summarize the solution in seven words. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now notice how he summarized it for us tonight. Number one, if we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we're going to overcome a cynical spirit. Number one, there must be a conquering of the will. The cynical spirit occurs when we allow bitterness, envy, and jealousy to enter our hearts. A cynical spirit, you want to write this down if this is not in your notes. A cynical spirit will result in us being sharply critical, jealously undermining, enviously comparing, and pessimistically negative. That's a cynical spirit. Can I tell you what happens when that happens? When that happens, Ephesians chapter 4, we've given place to Satan. You just open a door, you just open a window for Satan to come in to create a bad spirit there. So notice how do we conquer will. And you write this down in your notes. I think one of the examples I want to give you tonight is 1 Samuel 18. The Bible says that Saul had an evil spirit towards David. How do you overcome an evil spirit? And this is what the Bible defines four times about David at critical juncture in 1 Samuel 18. He behaved himself wisely. He behaved himself more wisely. He did not allow Saul's evil spirit to affect his spirit. He avoided out of Saul's presence many times. He refused to allow a bad spirit to ruin him. And in fact, David died to self each and every day he was in the service of, of Saul. And you remember 1 Samuel 18. Saul, every time we see Saul, he has a javelin in his hand and he actually thrust the javelin to try to kill David. David avoided out of his presence those times. Listen, if you want to help yourself, someone starts getting critical, the best thing to do, avoid out of their presence. Of such have no fellowship, the Bible says. Withdraw yourself from such. Get out of that presence because you don't want to affect your spirit. Be careful that we do not allow ourselves to, to get used to the things of God. Keep yourselves in love. How, how do you conquer your will? Hey, you know what? Every day, go back to Calvary and remind yourself of John 3.16 and Romans 5.8. Amen? Go back, go back to Calvary. Remind yourself of the love of God that was shed abroad and afresh through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. When we lose that love, when the love of God is not per- per- percolating in our lives, we get used to the things of God. We get used to what should be right. Hey, that's what happened to, to, to the prophet Isaiah. He got used to all the junk that Uzziah, the king Uzziah was doing. And God had to, God had to take Isaiah out of that element and gave him a vision of the holy things of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And he said, woe is me, I'm a man undone with unclean spirit. He lost his perspective of the holiness of God. Now listen, a lot of junk is going to go on in your life and my life during our lifetime. A lot of junk's going to happen. A lot of things that are going to try to twist us and, and get us cynical and things like that. And every now and then, we just need to take a moment to get into the presence of God and see the holiness of the Lord once again and remind ourselves, woe is me. I'm a man undone with unclean lips here. Listen, when we look at keep yourself in the love of God, it is where we need to be careful. We don't become so routine in what we do. We lose our passion for God. We must be careful of departing from our first love. We must be careful that we don't forget the reason behind why we do what we do. Listen, loving God is keeping the great commandment foremost in our worship and our service. The greatest thing about worshiping God is loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. This is the great and first commandment. We must never lose sight. That is our priority when we come to church there. Secondly, we must be a conqueror of our will. Would you notice number two, if we're going to overcome a cynical spirit? You know, we're talking about keeping yourselves in the love of God. I'm trying to pull it together now. Number two, you ready for this? Ready? 
Number one, conquering of our. Okay, number two, watch this. Kindness in our words. Now, those fighting fundamentalists that I grew up with, they were mean. They were mean men. They were mean. A man who I greatly respect, he told me this statement years ago. I was about 24 years old. Finding fundamentalists, built a great church. He said, Brother Fawn, I want to give you a word of advice. He told me and my wife, he says, let your theology dictate your music. Don't let your music dictate your theology. I've, I was with Brother Lett this week. I was preaching for Brother Lett as we were talking about that man. He said, Brother Fong, he said, that was such great wisdom. Yeah. I was with Brother Van Gelderen earlier this year. was at his church, and we talked about, about that man. He said, Brother Fong, he says, you know, we're going to honor that man. He just turned 92. We're going to honor him a little bit later this year. And he says, I remember that statement that he gave. He said, that helped my father and helped me. It's helped our church. We're staying right on the stuff there. But that man was a fighter. When I told him we started our church, first question is, okay, Brother Fong, so who are you fellowshipping with? Because that might determine whether I'm going to fellowship with you. I said, whoa, man. We must have kindness in our words. Proverbs 19.21 Death and life, the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Can we major on being kind and gracious and merciful? No matter how you're treated, watch your words. Young people, look up here. You, a lot of you went to teen camp. Look, at you guys look up here at me for a minute. Teenagers and college students. It's not just a civil thing to say please and thank you, excuse me, forgive me. It's the Christian thing to do. And I don't care what decisions you made at teen camp. If you can't practice at home with your mother and father, you're, you're, almost, you're almost the equivalent of an infidel. You better take good care of your mom and dad. You better treat them right. Resist the temptation to retaliate through words. We're all guilty of that. Do not answer a foolish person according to their folly. When you get criticized, sometimes, and sometimes the criticism might be good, sometimes you have to say this, you know, thank you for caring enough for telling me that. I'll, I'll, I'll pray about it and ask the Lord to help work in my heart. We must have kindness in our words. There must be a conquering of our will. Would you notice number three? There must be compassion in our waiting. Would you look at verse 21 again? Keep yourselves in love of God. Now, you just what he's saying there, immerse yourself in God's love. Let God's love overflow in your life. Don't lose a tear about Calvary, about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. But then he says in verse 21, notice this, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That one verse there has done so much to help me. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he's talking about that. Uh, he's talking about the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know what the Bible tells us in Second Timothy four? There is a crown of righteousness that's reserved for those who love His appearing. We should be on the edge of our seat, anticipating Jesus could come anytime. I tell my wife this all the time. We're a little bit older in years. I always say this, honey, I'm praying that we'll go up together in the rapture. I'm praying that God doesn't separate us through death. I'm praying that we'll go up together in the rapture. We'll take our little grandbaby up with us. Amen. You know, take a little big grandbaby up with us. I'll be holding her. Solomon, I'm going to be holding her when we go up. Amen. I'm going to have her, okay? 
You know, we love our enemies best when we heap coals of fire upon their heads. Do something beneficial for someone that's unlovely. A friend of mine got had a family incident last week. It was an awful situation. His son broke his heart. As soon as I got word of it, I immediately sent him a message. Hey, man, I said, I'm sorry to hear about the situation. I said, I just want you to know you've got a friend here. I'm praying for you. Let me know if I can help you there. Man, he didn't have to hear from everybody. And he did. He heard from everybody about how bad his father he was and what he did this and did this and did this. He needed to hear from somebody. He says, you know, God loves you. I love you. And no matter what you didn't do right, there's some things you're trying to do right right now. And you just got, you need to know you've got a friend right here that's going to help you through that. Listen, you want to hear that if that's your problem. Amen? Listen to what the Bible says. Compassion are waiting. Love thinketh no evil. Love beareth all things. Love is gracious and compassionate in our actions. The love of God is best demonstrated through our works. Hey, you know what? We might go, we might do a series, either Wednesday nights when I'm done here with the kings and prophets, or through our adult Sunday school, I may just have everyone go through First John. Our Chinese department is going through that right now. I tell you, it's helping our Chinese department. You're going through First John right now. And we need to remind ourselves about the love of God, especially you get to chapters 3 and 4 of 1 John. It just it kind of rips away at you about just, man, I don't practice love like this, and we need that kind of love there. Jesus tells on the Sermon on the Mount that great love does more than others. Our goal is not to try to win arguments unless we've won the person's heart. Did you make a list of people you can do acts of kindness for? If someone's hostile and attacks you, responds to you, and bitterness and hatred comes in you know what's the best thing to do go get yourself a five dollar starbucks card or get yourself a five dollar american express card and send a note to them say say thank you for caring enough about me i just wanted to let you know i'm praying for you and send them a card and just say god bless you have acts of kindness here there must be kindness in our words there must be compassion in our waiting what you notice the fourth thing there must be continuity of our witness look at verses 22 and 23 Are you with me tonight how do you overcome a cynical spirit? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, if you keep yourselves in the love of God, you're going to conquer your will. You're going to have kindness in your words. You're going to have compassion in your waiting. Jesus could come any moment. If we know that Jesus could come any moment, that, that's going to change my approach about the cynical spirit. But notice there must be a continuity of our witness. Now, I'll tell you the best thing I do when I get a little stressed out and things get out of whack. You know what I do? I go so many. Because it reminds me about the eternal perspective of what things are all about. I don't do it because I'm a type A person. I do it because I need to do it. I do it because it helps my spirit there. Now watch what he says here. He's talking about a cynical generation. Then he calls them this remedy here, keep themselves in the love of God. In verse 22 he says, and if some have compassion. Who's that? The cynic who doesn't want to hear, hear, hear about the gospel. The cynic who says, well, I'm an atheist. The cynic who says, I don't believe in God. I'm not sure there is a God. I, the cynic who says, I'm a follower of Stephen Hawking. Well, that's fine. You follow Stephen Hawking. I'm still going to follow Jesus Christ. He says, if some have compassion, that makes the difference. And he says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. The word pulling them out of the fire is where we get our word rapture from. It's the same word harpazo means to snatch out. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Listen, I encourage you today, the best thing that can overcome a cynical spirit, when you find yourself gravitating, that you're hanging out with people that are scornful and, and wrathful and angry and finding criticism, you don't like this, you don't like, like today, we had a, we had a little bit of a, an issue this, this, this morning in the, in the, in the BC, and, and there's two, there's two perspectives. You can say, well, you know, thank God we can fix it, or you can say, well, look, you guys didn't do a good job, and you get angry, don't come back to church on that. 
Listen, the best ha- attitude to have when these things happen, and you're the recipient of it, can I tell you the best thing to do? Tomorrow morning, take ten tracts and find ten people you're going to give a tract to and get, tell them about Jesus Christ. My wife and I, we, I told her, I, I told her Friday night, we were busy with things, and I told her Friday night, I said, you know, I need to have a great Saturday today. I'm just asking God to work through us. And she said, where are we going? I said, I made an appointment. I said, uh, we have a lady that we led to Christ about a few weeks ago. And I said, I, I've been telling her I wanted to see her husband. And I just found out last night, I said, her husband's home. And she said, would you come, can you come by to see us? And I said, well, what time are you going to work? She said, after one o'clock. I said, I'll be there at 10 o'clock. And so we got there at 10 o'clock and they were waiting for us. And husband hadn't met me before. And honestly, I think the husband wasn't really sure what this was all about and what I was all about. But the wife, and there's a brother here that can vouch for us. When the wife got saved, there were tears that came down her eyes. I mean, we just felt like that moment of time, God had worked her heart. Tears came down her eyes. She said, man, I, I, now I know what it means to be saved. And she said, Pastor, please come back. I want my husband to be saved. And we sat down on the couch and started giving the gospel to him. And the Lord was working his heart. And we got about three-fourths through it. I got to Romans 5.8. A door opens on the side. A bedroom door opens on the side. And a man comes out and happens to be his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law came out, sat right on the other couch. And, I, you, know, and, and, you know, and I'm excited about that. But I'm ready to, get, to help, this, help this man uh, understand how to get him saved. And now this guy starts. And I said, oh, man, I don't want to start all over again here. But, you know, I said, well, God, Holy Spirit, give me some wisdom. And the brother was listening intently the brother-in-law and I started giving the gospel to him and started telling him about the Lord and the wife is sitting right next to her husband long story short I went through it many times my wife can vouch for us I said can you think of any reason why you shouldn't get saved today and the husband said no sir he says I, I, I understand it he says I've heard all this before he says I just don't know if I've really done this I don't know if I'm ready and I said can you think of any reason why you shouldn't get saved today and he said no sir I can't I said we well, ought to get saved right now and I looked at his brother-in-law and I went over the gospel again with him and we started as a 10 o'clock appointment now we're at 1145 and he and I talked to him about the Lord and both those men listen about 1145 1150 both those men said pastor we, we believe we need to get saved. And right there, two men called on the Lord to save them from their sins. Guess what happened? They're right here in that back row this morning. He texted me all afternoon. I've gotten five text messages from him. He said, Pastor, I don't know how to explain it. I was crying through the message. I was crying. Something's going on in my life. I don't know what it is. I said, you got Jesus in your life. That's what's going on. Don't lose what you got right now. Amen? I'll be careful who I introduce you to. So you don't lose that. Amen? His wife had tears in her eyes. She says, to see my husband come to church, that's a blessing. Brother-in-law is telling about our church and I said, telling about Sag Sausters behind us. Pastor, I work for Sag Sausters. I said, really? I said, how long have you been there? He said, five years. I didn't even know the management changes. The people we've been talking about, the parking lot, it's a whole different team of management. He says, Pastor, he says, you need me to introduce you to them so you guys can get that parking lot. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. Amen. That's God. That's God. And I'll be honest. I started, I started, I, Friday night I had a cynical spirit. I had so much junk going in my life. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's about, a cynical spirit is not about the external. It's about the internal. Don't blame anybody else for cynical. Cynical spirit is because of sin nature. It's nothing to do with everybody on the outside. The world's messed up as it is. How many figured that out already? Amen? It's a messed up world. Amen? So as we close tonight, there's some who are cynical saying, it can't happen. I can't change. I've tried. Well, we've looked at our stand. We've looked at our cynicism. we looked at the solution. Here's the difference between psychology and the Bible. You ready? We have our Savior. 
<laughs> we have Jesus. <laughs> we got Jesus. Look at the last two verses. We're done. Now to him. Now here's, here, here's Jude bringing everything back in perspective now. Now to him that is able. Aren't you glad he's able? To him that is able to keep you from. That's not talking about losing your salvation. And to him that is able to keep you from falling into a cynical spirit. And present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Hey, you know what Jesus wants to do when it's time to go home? He wants to present you faultless before his throne. I'm going to give you an example of that in just a minute. Then he said in verse 25, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Hey, watch this. We're done. The Lord is so inclined and so desirous that we succeed in overcoming a bad spirit. You believe that? Huh? You believe that? I don't think you believe it. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling. Let me show you an example. Go to Acts chapter 6. This may not be in your notes. Go to Acts chapter 6. I'm, I'm almost done. Let you go home. Get your ice cream. Amen? Acts chapter 7. Excuse me. Now in Acts chapter 6, Stephen is one of the seven that the Lord takes. And God used that man as a catalyst in bringing many people to Christ. And he was so trusted with the gospel, God gave him an audience with the tough pharisaical audience in chapter 7. That's one of the great sermons recorded in Scripture. You preachers need to study that sermon. It's a great sermon. And he's preaching the gospel way, and he gets here, and I want you to notice these verses because we need to close up. In verse 53 and 54, he talks about them resisting the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says they gnashed on him with their teeth. You know what they were doing? They were, they were extreme cynicists. Amen? They were very extreme. You know you're a cynic when you're gnashing on somebody with your teeth. Amen? And notice the Spirit. Would you watch this tonight? This is so Bible. In verse chapter 7, verse 55, But he, speaking of Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. This is going to touch your heart. Listen, there's so many things here. When you're under that pressure and a cynical spirit affects you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? But that's not the solution here. That's not, we're, we're not looking at Stephen, we're looking at the Savior. He, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked steadfastly to heaven and saw the glory of God. What's Jesus doing? Talk to me. What's Jesus doing? Talk to me. Where is he normally, where, what's his position when you normally read about him in heaven? Seated where? He's standing. Only time in Scripture you see him standing. He's standing ready to receive somebody who didn't get overcome by a cynical spirit. That's, that's Jude 24. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless at his coming. Jesus said, you proved yourself more important than how good you can preach, more important than how your, your, your position church. He said, if you've proven yourself, Stephen, you're ready, you're gonna come home, they're gonna stone you, and I'm not gonna stop it. You've shown to them that a good spirit overcomes all that. And notice what it says here. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfast into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Hey, what a reception in heaven. What a reception. Just moments later, the Savior said, Welcome home, son. You, you passed the test. You did it right. You didn't die with a broken heart for, for a broken heart over yourself and a spirit that's filled with cynicism. You left this life a victor in Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you tonight, don't let us 
cynical spirit get you to the place where you succumb to that spirit and you leave this life and die this life a bitter Christian? Get rid of the bitterness and become better through Jesus Christ tonight. It's right here. Well, I don't believe it. You're cynical. There it is. He's standing at the right hand. You got a cynical spirit right now. If you, God knocked you over the heart attack, is he going to stand to receive you? I don't think so. But right here, this man Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, he's going to present you faultless. He'll keep you from falling. You don't have, and I don't have, the ability in ourselves to overcome a cynical spirit. We need the Lord. We need the Lord. Now, if I told you all that in the first five minutes, you wouldn't have caught it. Now you've looked at this. We're to contend for the faith. That's our stand. There's a nature of a cynical spirit. We must keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep our hearts tender. But I'm going to tell you tonight, if you try in your own power, it's not going to happen. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. It's the Savior. It's our Jesus. You spend a little time walking with Jesus. You're going to be around the only man who never got a cynical spirit. Let his freshness come on you tonight. Let his spirit come upon you. Let's overcome a cynical spirit. Don't be someone. Drop your stone. Something's going to happen five minutes after church is over. You're going to be ready to cast your stone. Hey, we're always ready to cast a stone when it's somebody else's sin. But when it's our sin, we want mercy. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seven words that can beat a cynical spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Father, tonight, I need that this evening. Would you help us to obey you and follow you tonight? I give the invitation. May this be a holy moment of time. We realize our dependence is on the Lord and not upon ourselves. We've seen the elder brother, two elder brothers. They were angry. They were filled with themselves. They were disrespectful. They cast aside authority. They said things like, neither transgressed I at any time. You never gave me a kid. They wouldn't go in. Lord, I pray you help us to have enough character to have some holy shame about that kind of attitude. That's not Christian. That's not spiritual. That's not godly. When we look at Jude, it's a contrast between the apostate, the godly man, and the ungodly man. Father, we need your love to saturate us. Could be we've left our first love. It could be the great commandment has been pushed aside. It could be, Lord, we've lost our tear and the touch in our heart for Jesus' death on the cross. I ask this evening, Lord, you just take the simple thought, keep yourselves in love of God, have your way in my heart, and this wonderful, blessed congregation. 
I'm so amazed when I think of Stephen in our clothes. You were able to keep him from falling and to present him faultless at your presence. It's full of the Holy Ghost. He said, I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a reception. What a welcome. Lord, we need help from you to overcome a cynical spirit. To not fall in that trap. To not let it conquer us. To conquer our will. To have kindness in our words. Compassion in our waiting. Lord, and consistency in our witness. Help us with that tonight. Move our hearts tonight about winning souls. By being used of you tonight for your glory. I give you the invitation now. In Jesus' name. As you stand, you make your way to the front. Find your way tonight. You find yourself the cynical spirit, leader, teacher, old-time Christian. Cynical spirit can catch any of us. I had it this week. So did you. So did you. Who cares? So what? Well, you're not going to change. That's, that's the older brother syndrome. There's a lot of anger inside that. And the root of that anger is bitterness. There wasn't favor showed to you. Neither gave you, neither got I a kid at any time. Well, we need to come to the Lord of glory and say, Lord, help me to overcome a cynical spirit. Teenagers, you get like that with your mom and dad. You snare at them. You roll your eyes. You roll your eyes at spiritual leadership in the church. You have a spiritual, you just have a, it's just a spiritual attitude. That's not right. It's not right. There's always going to be failures. There's always going to be things that are going to break down. There will always be mistakes people make. There are no perfect people. Neither are you. Neither am I. But we have a perfect Savior. He is able to keep us from falling. Would you come to Him for power tonight? And enablement and strength to keep Him falling. Would you do that tonight? Please take your time this evening. Altar's open. Let me take our time this evening. Let's get a good spirit tonight. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Oh, we need His love to fill us. We need to be filled with passion and compassion. Overflowing in our heart with joy to the Lord. Let's do that tonight. Father, tonight we need just an outpouring of the Spirit of God to give us the love of God. I remember, Lord, when John 3.16 first got a hold of me. Lord, I've never been the same. Romans 5.8 You loved us first. Lord, sometimes we have fears and anxieties, but the Bible says perfect love casteth out all fear. The Bible speaks about having boldness in the day of judgment. I believe that coincides with what we're looking at tonight. Help us this evening. If we're cynical towards our spouse, to our children, to our parents, to spiritual leadership, a Christ-honoring heart, to the church, to Bible preaching, to Bible standards and church standards. Please have your way this evening, Lord. Keep us in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. There's healing and forgiveness and a new start and a fresh start. Thank you 
that you give us encouragement. You're the only wise God who will keep us from falling. Thank you for that enablement and that boldness now. We pray these things of you, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.